0: Well, good morning. Hey, uh, uh, we're in our second week uh, in a series called "The Lies We Believe." If you want to get more out of the series, and maybe you get connected to some people here at Grace, we have a way of doing that. If you come to the nine fifteen service at the eleven o'clock service across the hall in our old auditorium, we have discussion groups, and we have uh, we write questions uh, for this sermon that could be applied in just a few minutes, and it's a great way to get more out of it. Just thought you'd want to know. You can start well next week if you want. That'd be great. <clears throat> This week, we're looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, talking about the lies we believe. When I was in graduate school, I had uh, one, of, one of our experiences in a pastoral class was doing uh, hospital visits with the local chaplain, the hospital chaplain, and those two weeks were, wow, they were hard, and that's why I'm not a chaplain. One of the rooms we went into I'll never forget, we walked in and there was a handsome, fit, kind of young man there, barely 30 probably. And he had been there a day. He was driving to work and it was the second day that he had been experiencing some abdominal pain. He thought, you know what, I don't get sick much. I'm gonna go to the ER. And so he did, he thought maybe an appendix, right? Something like that? It was not. After a day of diagnostic work on him, they had informed him that he was not going to leave the hospital. His car was in the parking lot. His parents were on a plane, and they were going to drive that car home. And he was alone, and he had a clear mind. And so that gave him the opportunity to think about that the life he had left could be measured in hours. He was confused, and he was scared, and, yeah, he was angry. He looked at me. I mean, he might have been mad at me because I was young, and, and he said, he said, "What? I don't understand. What did I do wrong? I only eat healthy food. I work out all the time. I've been in great shame since I was in high school. W- what did I do? I don't understand. He... <laughs> He talked about how he was, you know, had a lot to do in life. He was not just, he was going to get around to things, you know, like fun and travel. He had stories of fun and travel, but we, you know, th- my partner, the, the mentor here is a bigger man. He's an older man. And he's wearing a, a priest collar, you know, with all that authority. And he says, I was going to find time to know God. And I was finding time to know God in my life, my spiritual life in between my career and my entertainment but loving God, it was a priority in my life. It was not the priority in life. And that, that's behind it now. So here he is now, an older man with a priest collar holding his very strong but dead hand. And he says, would you like me to pray for you? And the, and the young man said, yes. It says, oh, the, the prayer was something like this. It was He's, he said, Lord, this, this young man, his very brief life, he would, he would like you to forgive him for presuming upon him, presuming that he would live longer and he, that he would get around to knowing you. And, Lord, we'd ask that he would be allowed to die in the comfort of this forgiveness, that you would give him peace amongst all of the fear and that your spirit would give him the power of your presence in his loneliness. Amen. And the young man was weeping, you know, and we left. And I, I got to the hall, out in the hallway and I said, wow, that was some prayer. And he said to me, he said, there is nothing but truth in deathbed prayers. And that was the truth. I'm here today. I've been sent by the Apostle Paul. And he told me to tell you You don't want to hear that prayer. God, in his respect for our freedom that he has made us in his image, he has given us the freedom to waste our lives. We don't want to waste our lives. It says in the Bible that God is a jealous God. He is jealous for us. He is jealous for what we choose to do. God knows The greatest life that we could ever live would be one that is absolutely and completely devoted to Him. Not a priority, the priority in our life. God is the one, the only one that can say this, that for you to love me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind is the greatest thing that you could ever do for yourself. Don't waste your life. I think Paul is writing Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, with this in mind, that we have a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, has every potential of throwing away the only life God has given him or her, the most precious thing. And so in this, in this Romans, if you, let me tell you, just introduce quickly the book of Romans for you, it is the most densely written and densely packed book of theology Ever penned. We could literally, not exaggerating, literally fill this auditorium with books commentating on the book of Roman over the years. And these verses that we're going to look at, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, these, these are maybe the, you know the top in the top 10 verses in the Bible. They're some of the most profound sentences in the Bible because in this book called Romans, these two sentences serve as a a titanic hinge that is going to turn the the subject matter from the theology of the book of Romans to now the practice of the book of Romans. This is the place where he turns from understanding to application. That's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Listen to the urgency and the passion that Paul is writing. Here we go. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what the will of God is. What, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We only have two major decisions in our life, honestly. These two decisions, they determine who we are, they shape us, and they determine our future. Here they are. One, who will be your master? Who is in charge of your life? Who defines what is right and real and true? That's the first choice. The second choice is, what will be your mission in life? What are you going to do with the time, the precious little time that you have to live as an expression of your freedom? What will you, you, what will, what will, how will you use your life? And Paul's coming in here with great passion and zeal and saying, do not waste your life. Do not throw it away. Do not, you know, get around to your spiritual commitments when when you're older, when you slow down, when you can see the end, right? Don't do that. Paul is passionately concerned about us. And in in this section, I'll just give you a quick outline what he's going to do. He's going to give us a reason and and a method to how to live a life absolutely, ultimately surrendered in devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to say, why should you do this? And then he's going to say, and here's how. And then he's going to go back and say, no, 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 I want to give you another reason why. And then he's going to give you another expression of how to do that, right? Why, how, why, how? That should, that should serve as a great hinge so that he can get on with the rest of the book and, and show us how to live. The application of the theology. So the first, here we are in our outline, why? Why this ultimate dedication? Paul is begging. He is pleading. He is he's requiring us to just do this. And he's going to base all of this, the answer, why? Why should we do this? He's going to base it on one word. Here it goes: The word therefore. Therefore, 11 chapters that precedes this, 11 chapters of theology that is as dense as a diamond, is culminating in the nature and the practice of God, is culminating at the end of chapter 11, and Paul can't con- contain himself, and so he ends this section by just breaking out in worship this is what he's appealing to. He says this in Romans chapter 11, these last verses before we get to the hinge, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. Who has known the mind of God or who has been his counselor or who has given him a gift to, be, to receive a gift in return? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And all God's people said? Amen. So why should you give your life to Christ completely? Make him your king. Have him rule over your life. That's why. Right there. There it is. That's what he's appealing to Who God is and what he's done. Don't waste your life. Therefore, therefore, by the mercies of God, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, Paul sent me to tell you this. I beg you, my friends, don't waste your life. Don't hedge your bet in your spiritual life. Don't prolong something until later. Don't, like, make it a priority. Make it the priority. Why? By the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. What mercies? What mercies? Therefore. Could I just quickly go through the mercies of God found in this book, Romans? I urge you, therefore, by the mercies of God, by the redemptive sacrifice that is explained and provided in Romans 1 through 3. Therefore, I urge you, in light of the gift of righteousness that we receive in chapter 3, Therefore, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, that we get the peace, that we are at peace with God now. Explain in chapter 5. That we have, by the mercies of God, complete reconciliation. Chapter 5. I urge you, therefore, therefore, I urge you to do this because of the freedom that we have from the power of sin. Chapter 6. I urge you, therefore, my friends, because of the presence of the Spirit that we receive as a gift. Chapter 8. I urge you, my friends, my brothers and sisters, because we are literally adopted into the king's family. says so in Romans chapter 8. It also says in chapter 8, by the mercies of God, this is a mercy of God, that there is nothing created in heaven or hell, spiritual or physical, that can separate us from the love of God. By the mercies of God, my family, In what we can understand in Romans chapters 9 through 11, we can see that God has a sovereign plan and the providence and the power to make that plan come through fruition and that he makes a promise and he keeps a promise. And, And we're part of that promise. And because we can know all that, by the mercies of God, we should give our lives to there. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, on the basis of who God is, who we are not and what he has done for this for us could we please be totally surrendered and dedicated to the glory of God in our lives could we do that there is no greater reason that paul could appeal to do you see that there is no greater passion that could excite him by the mercies of god i'm 11 chapters into this right could you, could you, by the mercies of Yahweh, could you join his program? Could you not waste your life? Eleven chapters on the nature of God, the nature of man, the beauty and the majesty of our creator. Who would care for us? No answer to that. That he would send his son to die for us. By those mercies, you should give your life to the Lord completely. That's the why. Now he goes into the how. Okay, okay, what do I do? This is a little bit odd. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. (laughs) He says, okay, you in? I'm all in. All in. Okay, give God your body. My body. Uh, (laughs) You sure you want this body, right? Yeah. Yeah. The reason the Lord wants your body is because that's, that's what you use to carry around all your stuff, right? I mean, that's how your stuff gets brought from point A to point B. It's where you, that's where your soul and your spirit are kept currently. And so if he gets your body, he gets all of you. You know, I know it'd be easier to like, hey, how about you want my money? Sure, okay, I'll just send it. You know, we'll delegate that. Or maybe my time. Now I don't even have to go, you know, Right. He wants our body. And it says living sacrifice. Present your body as a living sacrifice. There's two parts of that that are rich. Let's start with living. Living. He, in, in the context of this audience, he would know a Jewish you know, sacrifice. There's an altar where you sacrifice. And it's not unusual for, the, for that sacrifice already to be dead. And so you have a dead sacrifice on the altar. He doesn't want a dead sacrifice. The sacrifice didn't get up there on their own, and the sacrifice can't get down on their own. He wants your body to be a living sacrifice. In other words, you choose to get up on that altar and live for Him. And as a living sacrifice, you choose to stay on that altar. And the longer you stay there, the more meaningful the sacrifice becomes. Because if you stay on that altar completely surrendered to Him, here's what's happening choice, a choice, a choice, a choice, a choice, a choice. A constant, perpetual day, one day at a time, right? One day at a time. Moment by moment, choice to stay there being completely surrendered. He wants a living sacrifice. He wants to use your body. It says in Ephesians, it says, I have prepared good works in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time for you to do. Going to need a body for that. I'm going to need your body for that. And there is no greater thrill in life that you will ever experience by the mercies of God than to be in his will to do those good works in Jesus Christ that he's arranged for you. And he says, I'm going to need your body to do that. Let's go. Give it to me. Make it a living sacrifice. Bring that body in all of the places of your life and, and, and use that as an expression of worship. Worship. Bring it into your family. Let that body be used for worship. Bring it into dating relationships, right, while you're on the date and in that body. That's a worship thing. Let that be surrendered. You go into a movie theater, that's a place where you're bringing your body to express worship and surrender. That's that's your way of saying, I'm a sacrifice. I am a sacrifice. I'm choosing to do what the Lord would do with this body. You're saying to God, I'm a tool. Use me. I'm an instrument. Play me. I'm yours. Do whatever you want. I'm a living sacrifice. The second part that's very easy for us to misunderstand is the word sacrifice. It's living. It's a sacrifice. And when we think of sacrifice, right, it's very common, is we think, (laughs) is it a verb or is it a noun? Because when you and I look at the word sacrifice, we think of it as a verb. It's something I'm doing. I'm sacrificing. And what that means is I have something that belongs to me that I deserve, and I'm going to give it to you, or someone else, volitionally, I will choose to give it to you, and so I'm going to sacrifice my time, verb, for you, and what happens after that? You're welcome. You're welcome. I gave something that was mine, and I gave it to you, and you're welcome. Okay, first of all, uh, it's not a verb, it's a noun. Most of the time in the Bible, the the sacrifice that's being used is talking about a noun. Remember nouns, person, place, or thing? In the context of the Bible, most of the time it's a thing. It's a a calf. It's a goat, okay? And so (laughs) you're not sacrificing a goat. The goat is the sacrifice. The calf is the sacrifice. It's a noun. And you're not doing God a favor by giving the goat or, or calf to him. It's his it already belongs to him. You're just returning it. And so you're not sacrificing the goat in the context of a verb. You are, the goat is the sacrifice, and you're returning it to him. As a matter of fact, if you don't return the calf or the goat, it says in the Bible, you're robbing him of what already belongs to him. In this context, in this sentence, person, place, or thing, it's a person, it's a noun. It's me. It's you. You are the living sacrifice. God says, I made you. I redeemed you. You're mine. You're the sacrifice. Keep it alive, and, I'll, and I'm going to take it places. See, it's, it, we don't owe him. Remember, maybe you did this as a child, you know, Mother's Day is coming up and you're a little kid and you don't have much money so you go into mom's purse and you take $50 out of there you go buy a scarf Mother's Day rolls around and says I gave you this scarf okay (laughs) as C.S. Lewis would say she's $50 none the richer she didn't make anything on that and mom says thanks because the child says okay you're welcome there's no you're welcome in this you're a noun you're the sacrifice. And could I just add this? That it doesn't even work as a verb. It doesn't even work as a verb. It's not a verb, but it doesn't even work. Because the word sacrifice, right, fundamentals, okay, it's when I have something and I give it up and it's lost. I, it, I suffer loss by sacrificing to you or whatever, right? It's a loss. Jesus never will require us to sacrifice anything for our devotion to Him. He never asks us to give something that isn't a trade-up. Is, when He asks us to give something, it is, it is to make something better. We, we are never on the losing end or on the loss in the red. We're never in the red in our devo- ultimate devotion to Him. Okay. If there is a cost involved, it's not a cost. It's an investment. Those are two different things. It's an investment into something greater. Here we are flying through like life in, in, in some jumbo jet. And Jesus walks to the very back in your economy seats and says, I would like for you to sacrifice that economy ticket so that I might take you up to first class. You can leave your chicken in the overhead bin and your other stuff, you little hillbilly, and I'm going to put you up front with the royalty. Oh, I've sacrificed my economy seat. There's no. Never, he never wants us to sacrifice. He's always saying it's a, it's a great trade. He says, you bring me your shallow dreams of being comfortable and being safe or maybe famous or whatever, and I will give you, in exchange for that, the existential, eternal longing to be in the heart of God's will and to be used by your creator, that's not sacrifice. <laughs> Indeed. You and I, we can't afford. We can't afford to live outside of God's will. We can't afford to take our bodies to places that he wouldn't want us to. We can't afford to live in a way that's not absolutely and completely committed to him. We can't live independent of God and come out on the positive side. There's no sacrifice. And that's is it no wonder that Paul is saying in this passage, I am begging you, I am begging you not to hedge on this bet. Don't hold some chip in your back pocket just in case. All in, all in, by the mercies of God, Because of his goodness, his greatness, and his expressions of love. Why? Ultimate dedication, the mercies of God. How? He says, your body is a living sacrifice. Now he goes back to why. Why the ultimate sacrifice? He says, let's look at it again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your spiritual worship. Spiritual, that's a church word, works in your Bible, not what it means. But, you know, we translate it that way because it's a, it's a church word. I know many of you don't know Greek, but I'm going to throw this out and see how you do. The word is logikos. What do you think that means in English? Logical. He's not saying it's a spiritual thing. He's not saying it's a church vocabulary. It's science. This is reasonable, intelligent, rational. This is the thing you, this is, this is reasonable worship. This is logical expressions of who God is and his nature and what he's done for us. You're, <laughs> Paul's going, you're going to love, love, love where he takes your body. Oh, you are going to be overwhelmed at what he wants you to do with that body, soul, and spirit. Wait till you meet the people he's going to have you meet. People that you wouldn't meet otherwise. You're going to love this life. It's the logic Paul's saying, think think about this expression of worship. This is, this is reasonable. Why wouldn't you be completely sold out? You hear Paul like, begging for us to get in the game here? He's appealing to the mercies of God. He's, appearing, he's appealing to just fundamental logic. What's, what's your, what are your logical values? We did this with our children when we were raising them because they, didn't have, they had different values. And so we were just like, okay, God, he'll play that with us. Are you impatient? Being completely surrendered to the glory of God, it's, it's faster. It's a more efficient way to live. It really is. Kind of like greedy. You know, like you like stuff. Jesus would say, being excessively generous like I've prescribed, it's the most extravagant life you're ever going to find yourself involved in. Uh, how about passionate? Many of you have passions, and you think, oh, but if I, if I were to follow the Lord, what a boring life that would be. I want to tell you, by the mercies of God, if you really think think through this, it's the most exciting life you will ever live. I dare you to give it a try. That's what Paul's coming. That's why. He says, why? By the mercies of God. How? Give him your body. Why? Because it's logical and expression of worship. How? Give him your mind, too. Give him your mind. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. There is a form of this world. It is an atmosphere. It is a pattern. It is a mold. It is a philosophy. It is a template. And if we do nothing, we are pounded into that mold. We are constantly barraged with how to think about this current culture, about how to think about ourselves, how to put ourselves in the center of the universe, how to be self-indulgent. These are the lies we believe today. And Paul is saying, if you do nothing, you will be conformed. You're going to ride along with everyone else into destruction. So he says this, you've got to be transformed. You absolutely need to be transformed. Well, how do you do that? You're going to need to renew your mind. By the renewing of your mind. You have to think God's thoughts. You have to find yourself in the mind of Christ, thinking his thoughts, in in the emotions of Christ. That's why we have those four biographies, so that we can feel his feelings or learn how to, that we might have the courage of the Spirit to do his will. That's what it means to have our minds transformed. If we have our minds transformed, if they're renewed, then we have a transformed life. And he's begging us to renew our minds. It's worth all the work it, it takes. All the work it takes. And here, here's a fundamental, kind of a foundational thing that's not real popular today. If you just have biblical compliance, you know, obedience, without a transformed mind, it'll lead to short-term success, but long-term frustration and failure. Because if you're just acting out in obedience, but without knowing, you're just pretending. And it's just a matter of time or circumstances. If you're in a a relationship of obedience, but it's not built on a love relationship, that's called duty. And that cannot survive the crucibles of much of life. Only fatigue. That's all it takes for you to disobey. And so Paul is saying, you've got to renew your mind. You've got to change, because most of the commands of God, they are there's a there's a pretty short line between what we're supposed to do and the reason we're supposed to do it. They're logical, and it's like if you if you understand this is the this is the shortest distance right for happiness, then it's easier to do it when times get tough. And there are times I acknowledge that there is there's not a good connection there. A lot of times it means there's not enough time to explain. Like maybe in the next life, in a thousand years, that act of obedience is going to make perfect sense. But there are, I get it, you know, when this commitment to purity isn't returning on the investment, you'll wonder if it's the right thing to do. And he says, wait, trust in my mercies of God. When the logic of obedience doesn't work, then by the mercies of God, Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. How? It's brainwashing. I mean, think of the phrase, brainwashing. One, it says, do not be conformed. If you could could just turn off the spigot of the sewage and the sludge that's coming into your life, it's going to be easier. (laughs) Okay? Do not be conformed to this world. And then you turn on the spigot of pure, clean truth. What is right? and real and true as revealed in the Bible. What does it say in Romans at the end of their version of right and real and true, whatever is good, acceptable, and perfect. Yeah. Watch this. Aristotle said that every single person is pursuing the same goal, happiness. We all just want to be happy. The sunum bonum, the greatest good. Now people, people live different lives. They make different choices because they're taking different paths they think will lead to that happiness. And on many of those paths, they don't make it there. If we can change our mind on what happiness is and the path, that's what he's trying to get us to do. He's trying to say, that's the path to happiness. You want to go there, think these ways, right? Transform your mind. Renew your mind. All right, here's a, here's a, i read this this week. It's like, this person wants to be happy, probably on the wrong path. She says, she's a young gal, she says, I generally don't know if I'm supposed to have children. So you're telling me that if they want to go get ice cream for dinner and then on the way back pick up a puppy, one more puppy, I'm supposed to say no and act like that's not a great idea? She says, no way. I'm not a fake. If you, pick up, if you have ice cream for dinner every night and you pick up a puppy on the way home each time, you're going to be happy. But not for long. You're going to be overweight for a long time, and you're going to have a lot of dogs. You see how she wants to be happy, and she's choosing the wrong road? Yeah. Happiness is what we want. We're choosing the wrong road to be on. Here's how you transform your mind, or how you renew your mind. Here's how you renew your mind. Like Dr. Thurman said last week, we observe things our road to happiness. When, when, observe your temptations. When you're being tempted, stop and ask yourself, why do I think this road leads to happiness? Why is it drawing me there? Why am I craving this avenue? Because the Bible says it doesn't lead to happiness. It leads to despair or, or destruction. Okay, stop. so you, you back up and say, I've, why do I think that? Maybe I'm being conformed by this world? observe your reactions, and I would say probably overreaction, because usually when you get really mad or really sad, it's because someone has blocked a road (laughs) that you think is going to lead to happiness, and so you explode or get super depressed because you're like, I want justice on my terms and on my timetable, and you get upset about that. It's like, well, why why do you think that's the road you should be on in the first? I want to be understood, or something like petty, like I want to be pampered. I deserve to be pampered. Why do you think that, see, you're, you're, you're taking that thought captive in some respects, but you're observing it so that you're seeing how you're being conformed to this world, this world's definition of happiness, and this world's road to happiness, and they're lies. You observe your feelings. Why do you feel that way? Should you feel that way? Because the Bible says this, Paul is writing this, if you don't get involved in the process of renewing your mind, you will be conformed to this world. In this world, its destiny is destruction. You do what you believe. You change what you believe, and you'll change what you do. Jesus, in the greatest sermon ever given, called the Sermon on the Mount, his introduction is called the Beatitudes. And he starts each one with "Blessed." The word blessed could be translated today, many of your Bibles say this, happy. Because he knows everyone's making choices to get to happiness. And so he's playing off of Aristotle. He's going, happy is the person who. Happy is the person who mourns. Happy is the person who, you know, is hungry for righteousness. Happy is, and he's coming in and he's going, no, 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 you're going down the wrong roads. You're heading for the wrong destinations. If you change the way you think about this, it'll change what you do and you're going to be glad. By the mercies of God, you will be happy. So, here's the plea in this series on the lies we believe. Will you make a lifetime commitment with me to renew your mind? Will you, make, will, you, will you observe? Will you pray that God's Spirit would surface the thoughts that you have that were in the context you might have been conformed to this world? And you, and, you, and you bring this, this idea of, Lord, let your spirit, let me see what I'm calling happiness or the roads to happiness that are a lie. And let me bring this mindset of being renewed in my mind into my family life, into my relationship life, into like, help me understand what it looks like at work or in my pleasures or in my identity. I want my mind Absolutely revolutionized, clean, made new. All my life, that's what that's what Paul's appealing. That's his application for us. He is urging us. He's uh, he says I, I he says I ask you, I beseech you, I urge you by the mercies of God, in light of who God is and what He's done. Would you give Him your body? Will you? In in light of the logical, intelligent, reasonable expression of what worship is, would you give him your mind? Will you put off the stuff coming in that's a lie, and will you find yourself gravitating towards what God has defined, what is right and real and true? Will you do that? What else are you doing for the rest of your life? All in for the glory of God, all your goals, all your life plans, all your definitions of happiness, all your heart's ambitions, just put it in the pot. You're going to love the reward at the end of this game. Do not hedge your bet. Do not wait until labor. Do not make your devotion and commitment to God a priority. Make it the priority. And you won't hear that prayer that that young man heard. You'll hear from everyone in heaven and on earth. Not that that matters. You'll hear it from the one that counts. Well done. Well done, my son, my daughter. You lived a great life. Who's in? Lord Jesus, I'd ask that your spirit would draw to our attention areas in our lives where we are putting behind our back something that belongs to you. Maybe who our friends are, what we call entertainment, thoughts, ambitions. And I'd ask that you would help us see how foolish and illogical that is How foolish in light of your mercies, how illogical in light of the way you've designed us, that we might surrender boldly, not thinking we are sacrificing, we're investing. I urge you, my brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice, that that sacrifice would be holy and acceptable to God. It just makes sense as worship Stop being conformed to this world. You be transformed by a commitment to renew your mind so that you might be able to discern discern what the will of God is, what is right and real and true. Lord, I pray that we would be a church like that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.